0: So, as I was saying about Jonah... (laughs) (laughs) I I miss being here. Um, You guys act like something happened. Uh, look, I've I've wrestled back and forth with how to handle this time this morning. Uh, I, I do not want at all for uh, for me to just be up here and talk about the last five months. Uh, I do recognize though that just skipping by that completely would be unfair for you, as my church family. And so um, I know most of you know what has been happening. Some of you may not know at all, some of you may know just a few details. And uh, just to make sure we're clear on everything that's gone on, um, to make sure uh, there are no rumors that I've been in Hawaii the last five months. <laughs> I just want to take uh, a few minutes um, to just, um, well, mostly express my thanks. I stood up here on January 23rd, and told you that in our Through the Bible study that we've been doing for a few years now, that we are at the point of looking at the life of Jonah. And I asked you to turn to Jonah chapter 1, and I said, uh, God willing, for the next four Sundays, we're going to look at the four chapters of Jonah. When I had woken up that morning, um, I felt off. I, I don't even know how to put it into words. I just felt like I was out of sync with with life. Something was wrong. On the way over here, Sandy said, are you okay? You, you, you seem like something's wrong. I said, yeah, I don't know. Don't know what it is. I just don't feel right. And as I was up here uh, bringing the message on Jonah, uh, towards the end of it, I began f- just feeling odd in my chest and Started having a hard time breathing, and I tried my best to cover it up and finish the message so that I wouldn't interrupt that moment. And chatted with some folks afterwards and uh, got in the car to head out of here. And I told Sandy, I just need to, I just want to go lay down. I don't feel well. I want to lay down. And she, um, like the good, godly, insightful wife, Uh, who helps us idiot men who are so stubborn and stupid, she said, uh, we need to go to the emergency room. I said, there is no way. I said, that's going to be eight hours and $2,000 at least. I said, I just want to go home and lay down. And uh, all the way home, we we had actually stopped to get a bite to eat, and just five minutes after we sat down, I just broke out into a sweat and... I was having a hard time getting my next breath, and so we left, and I was still headed home. And she just said one more time, Phil, please, uh, let's, let's just go over here to the emergency place. And, um, and so I turned the car in that direction. I wasn't planning on it. I was planning on being stubborn and going home and laying down. And in the emergency place, uh, they soon found out that I was having a heart attack, and Uh, Sandy told him, she told on me, she told him uh, that I just wanted to go home and lay down. And and he stopped and looked very sternly at us and said something I never thought I'd hear, but it was a, a bit of a wake up for me. He said, if he had gone home and laid down, he probably would have never gotten up. And so I said, wow, we're not fooling around, I guess. So long story short, they raced me over, put a couple stents in, and then I had uh, open-heart surgery, and um, then had to have prostate surgery. Um, and uh, I should have been well by now. Um, my cardiologist friend here has beaten me up over this pretty extensively, that I should be much further along than I am now. Um, I'm, having, I'm still having tr- trouble with my lungs, uh, they're not right, and i um, still working on that. So, um, But I just wanted to say that being on the other side of this has been uh, very difficult for me as a pastor. I'm the one who usually goes around making sure others are okay. I'm not good at receiving sympathy or things like that. I need to work on that um, but it's been a great lesson for me to be on the other side, because I've gotten to see the extraordinary kindness of other people, and just how deep their love is for me. And I still don't quite get it. I, I don't understand why this many people love me that much. It's a mystery to me, but I am so blessed. <laughs> I'm so blessed to be loved and cared for by all of you. And I want to just say quickly before we get into the message, uh, I want to give a sincere thanks to all of those who stepped up to stand here and preach during my absence with no notice. And they did it without missing a beat and brought powerful messages. Uh, we're, We're so blessed here to have that many people who can open God's word and preach it in clarity and truth. Thanks to all of you uh, who, who did that. I want to thank all of those who stepped up in so many other ways here to make things function and move forward. So many of you took on extra roles and did whatever needed to be done, and I'm incredibly grateful to you and just to the entire church family for your cards and calls and encouragement, and especially for your prayers. I. I know that I've never been uh, more prayed for, in my life. And there were a couple of times I will admit when I was about this close to giving up. I was just so beyond weary. And in those times, inevitably. Someone would text me or call me, or I would just hear secondhand, we're praying for you. And I just want you to know, you know, as the church, we say things like that, and they almost become meaningless cliches. But I want you to know, from the perspective of being on the receiving end, it's a powerful thing. It's a life-giving thing to know that people are praying for you. I I want to thank all of you for your faithfulness. Knowing that just week after week, you were picking up the torch and carrying it. And the work went on. Uh, we tend to celebrate in life the big events. And that's great. But you know, the older I get, the more I celebrate simple, quiet faithfulness. That to me is a quality that is... Becoming so rare. Thank you for your faithfulness. None of this would be possible without you. Most of all, I want to thank Sandy and Caroline and Nick for being there for me in a thousand different ways. Sandy must have made me 500 chicken salad sandwiches because that's the only thing that sounded good for quite a while just all the trips up and down those flights of stairs, uh, helping me in ways that I never thought I would need another person to help me. I'm a fairly stubborn guy, and when they told me in January that it would probably be July or August before I would be back up here, I laughed my head off. I said, you are out of your mind There's no way on earth it's going to take me that long to recover. Uh, And I have been humbled greatly. I have been broken and humbled like you wouldn't believe. And I've had to eat some humble pie. And I can tell you it doesn't taste good, but it sure is good for you. And so this has been a long, long stretch with multiple setbacks along the way. Uh, and um, I thank Sandy and Caroline and Nick so much, and my entire family, my parents and my my sister, my brother Tim in South Africa for staying in touch with me and doing so many things to help. I'm incredibly, incredibly blessed, and finally and and above all, I want to thank God. It's amazing to me the number of people that I've met over the years who become angry at God when life doesn't go how they want. They become bitter. And they turn their back on God. They turn their back on the church. And I just don't understand why anyone would do that. The truth is, whatever God saw fit to take me through He could have broken my neck and both arms and both legs, and he would still be a good God worth praising and worshiping and living for. We must never, ever, ever measure the goodness of God by our circumstances. God is a good God full of grace and mercy and kindness and goodness. And I just want to express that and declare that today. So as I was saying about Jonah, grab your Bibles and turn, please, to Jonah chapter 2. The interesting thing about this is, as I was sharing with Jaron and Rachel, that um, I had prepared this message in January. I was planning on bringing this message on January 30th, and God saw that I needed to learn some lessons before I stood up here and brought this message on Jonah chapter 2. And the title of this message is The Blessing of Being Humbled. You want to talk about God's timing. The blessing of being humble. As a quick recap, I know it's been a while. Jonah chapter 1, we saw how God called Jonah, gave him an assignment to leave where he was and go northeast to the massive city of Nineveh who were uh, known as the Syrians as well. They were staunch enemies of Jonah's people. They were vicious warriors, extremely cruel a very hated people group. And when Jonah heard God's call to go to them to preach repentance and salvation, he said, not on your life. And he went down to the little port city of Joppa. I showed you some pictures of that. It's still there today. He paid the fare. He boarded a ship. And he sailed in the exact opposite direction. He went west to a place called Tarshish, which is about 2,200 miles away. Jonah was running as far away from God as he could. He even said, I'm going to flee from the presence of the Lord. What a laughable idea that is. And as he's out on the ocean, on this ship, we're told that God sent a violent storm upon that ship, so bad that the ship was about to break up and sink. They began throwing the cargo overboard and was finally realized that Jonah was the cause of the problem. God had sent this storm as discipline on Jonah. And Jonah said, if you want the storm to stop, you need to pick me up and throw me overboard. And as soon as you do, the storm will calm down. And that's exactly what they did. And that's exactly what happened. And Jonah sank beneath the ocean. And the last verse of chapter 1 that we looked at, said that God prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for five months, sorry, for three days and three nights. My apologies to Jonah, that was bad timing on my part. And so I remind you that when the original text was written, there were no chapter verse divisions, and so... Chapter 2, verse 1 would have just been a continuation of what we just read. So let's pick up in chapter 2, verse 1. Let's read this whole chapter. It's just 10 short verses so that we can get the picture. Jonah chapter 2, verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly. And he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. And he answered me, Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, or or hell is another word, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will again look toward your holy temple the waters surrounded me, even to my soul. Wow. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. Seaweeds. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet, you have brought my life up from the pit. O oh, Lord, my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. In verse 10, so the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. It's interesting to me in reading and studying the Bible, there are times when one single word can preach an entire sermon. I would submit to you that we've found one this morning, and it's a very common, simple, unimpressive word. Look back at verse 1 of chapter 2. The first word of that verse says, then. Then Jonah prayed. When? After he was thrown overboard. After he was sinking down to certain death. It wasn't until then that Jonah prayed. Maybe you remember from chapter 1. We saw in chapter 1, the pagans on the ship prayed more than once. The captain of that ship urged Jonah to pray to his God during the storm, and yet we have no record in all of chapter 1 of Jonah praying. Not even once. He was very cocky and self-assured, Determined to run his own way away from God. There's not one mention of Jonah praying until his life was in trouble. Then, then Jonah prayed. It seems perhaps that Jonah saw God as a lot of people still do today. As long as life is going well, they don't need God. But as soon as trouble hits, boy, they scramble and run to God and cry out to him for help. I, I wonder how that makes God feel. Maybe like a spare tire in the trunk? Maybe like a dusty fire extinguisher in the corner? We saw in chapter 1, Jonah could talk religion. Boy, he said all the right things about God and his power. But even though Jonah said he feared God, his life gave evidence that he didn't fear God at all. Not until God sent trouble into his life to wake him up. You see, I want to just Insert a quick warning here. It's very easy for us, especially here in America where our faith has cost us nothing yet. It's very easy for us to say we are a Christian, and all the while, we're actually not followers of Christ at all. We know all the lingo. We know all the spiritual Christian routines. And if we're honest enough, we would have to examine our life and say, we're just daydreaming our way through this. We're just drifting along with the current. I would encourage you, if ever there was a time to get serious about your faith, it is now. It is now. No, I'm not going to come back on my first Sunday and bring doom and gloom. And I don't have to. All you have to do is turn on the news and see that the world has lost its mind. There's a spirit of evil and darkness in the world, especially in our country, that I've never seen before. And I believe, folks, if this continues, if God doesn't intervene, the church collectively and we as individual followers of Christ are going to be in for some serious testing of our faith. Are we playing games now? Because if we are, we're going to be in a world of hurt when things are tightened down. And I believe they will be. Verse 2. Jonah now has received the wake-up call, and he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. Now, the word cried is used two times here. It's the same word in English, but it's two different Hebrew words. The first uh, instance of cried is the Hebrew word kara, and it it's a very strong word. There's nothing generic about this at all. It's not like a, a just sort of a random cry, somebody help me. The word kara is a very strong word. It means to call out loudly and boldly. It, there's one of the meanings that um, can, can even indicate the picture of accosting someone. So in other words, you're so serious about what you're doing that You run up to the person and grab them by the shirt and pull them in close and scream your need out to them. It's that kind of picture. The second instance is the word "cheve," And it conveys the idea of knowing exactly what your need is and calling out to God for that specific need, not caring what anybody else thinks. So often in the church, I think we are afraid to get specific about our needs. We tend to speak in generalities when it comes to prayer requests, even going so far as to say we have an unspoken prayer request. I still don't know how I feel about that, honestly. I understand, I understand there are times when perhaps nothing should be said, but I think there are maybe more times when we're holding back because we're, we're afraid perhaps of what people around us would think if we dared to open up our soul and use these two forms of crying out to God for help to say, I can't bear this anymore. My life is broken and I don't care Who knows about it? I don't care what they think of me. I am desperate for help, and I'm crying out to God. This is what Jonah is doing here. There's nothing mild or generic about what he's doing. He's now serious about getting in touch with God. What made the difference in Jonah between chapter 1 and chapter 2? He's been humbled. He's been humbled. And what did it take to, to bring Jonah to his knees and cause him to cry out to God? He had to be broken. Jonah had uh, he'd made a real mess of things. But at least he did one thing right here. While he was in that mess, he cried out to God for help. There are times in life you'll be hurting so bad or perhaps you've wandered so far from God that the devil will come and try to convince you there's no point praying there's no point crying out to God because you've you're, you're too far gone God's not going to hear your prayer but the consistent picture that we see throughout The whole Bible is a God who is constantly pleading with his people to come back to him from their waywardness. It's a picture of the father who is waiting and looking and longing every day for his wayward son to come home. And when he sees him, runs out to embrace him. It's a picture of a shepherd who leaves the safety of the fold at midnight and goes out into the storm along the treacherous rocks to find that one lost sheep and bring him home. Don't believe the lie that you're too broken to ever be healed. Don't believe the lie that you've gone too far from God, you've messed up too many times. And God doesn't want to hear from you. No, no, that's how we treat people. God doesn't treat us that way. God is waiting even now, right now, for you. I don't know your situation. But if you're apart from him, if you're doing what Jonah did, you've run from him in some way, even you're sitting here in a church service this morning, so maybe it's just quietly in your attitude You've run from him. God is waiting for you to cry out to him because he longs to bring healing and health and renewal to those that are broken. The Bible says, a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. A bruised reed he will not break off. You ever been at a place in life where you feel like a smoldering candle wick? Like, boy, I am just about done. I either I'm, I'm in such pain, I'm hurting so bad, I'm in such mental anguish, or I'm in such sin, I've done such terrible things. It's just a tiny, tiny flicker left in me. Boy, I know God doesn't want anything to do with me now. I say to you again, God is waiting right this moment for you to cry out to him and admit where you are. And be specific and say, God, here's, here's what I long for from you. It's no fun being humbled or broken. But often God sees fit to do so. And the beautiful thing is when he allows this into our life, He doesn't leave us to figure it out on our own, how to climb out of that pit. God specializes in restoring broken people. Even from their absolute lowest point in life. Look again where Jonah said he was. Verse 2. I cried out to the Lord, Because of my affliction. And he answered me, out of the belly of Sheol, I cried. And you heard my voice. Jonah's admitting here God, the reason I'm calling out to you is because of my affliction. In other words, this is a confession saying, God, if I wasn't broken right now, I wouldn't be talking to you. That's an honest confession. He says, because of my affliction, I'm crying out to you. He said, I'm broken. He essentially said, I'm in a hellish situation. That's what he's saying here. And you think about that. Hell is a place of darkness and torment, a place where all hope is gone. And this is where Jonah is saying he is. I'm in a hellish situation. God, and it's taken this. You've had to bring me to this low point to wake me up so that I would cry out to you again. Can you imagine the delight in God's heart to have heard this prayer from the depths of the ocean, from the belly of a fish? God wasn't standing there with his arms folded saying, I'm done with you. Oh, no. No, we'll see next week. God wasn't done with Jonah at all. And there will come times in every one of our lives, at least once, when we find ourselves in a situation exactly like this, a place of darkness, a place of torment and anguish, and there doesn't seem to be any hope at all. And we can end up in those situations for a lot of different reasons. And Jonah knows that he's in this mess because of his Rebellion. He knew that. If you look at verse 3, he said, You cast me into the deep. You cast me. Um, I thought it was the sailors who did that. No. See, we gotta, we got to learn to look past what our eyes can see. Because God is doing something in the situations of our life that we will miss completely if we're not looking through spiritual eyes. We'll get angry when something happens. Meanwhile, God is behind it saying, oh, I was just trying to get your attention. You missed it again. Jonah sees this now that he's broken. He says, you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas and the floods surrounded me. He said, your billows and your waves passed over me. Jonah knew he was being disciplined by God and he admits that he's in this mess because he disobeyed God. And one common danger in times like this when we're encompassed by unending physical pain or mental turmoil or fear is that our thinking will become skewed. There's something that happens to human beings in those moments where their spiritual compass, their theological compass begins spinning, and they tend to lose their focus and their direction on the things that are right and true. Look at verse 4. Jonah said, I have been cast out of your sight. He actually believed that he had messed up so badly that God had thrown him aside and forgotten about him. And that's a lie that Satan will try to convince you of too. I had one time, I remember it well, during all this, where I was, I was so low and I had been working so hard doing everything I was being told by the therapist and trying so hard to, to get my strength back and had another setback and ended up back in the hospital. And I'm telling you, it just, it leveled me. And I thought about our church, and I said, I will never get back. I'll never get back to the way things were. I'm done. And Satan began playing on my mind and just about had me convinced that it was all over. We have to be careful. We have to guard our thinking against this. The New Testament says so much about our mind, taking charge of our thoughts, bringing them into captivity, as it were. Not allowing Satan to grab one little loose thread and run a mile with it. And before we know what's happened, boy, we're, we're in a mess mentally. We've got to be careful. It's easy for us at our lowest points to think that God has lost sight of us, that he doesn't care about us anymore, that he's not in control Maybe that's you today. Maybe you've sunk to the lowest depths that you could ever imagine being at in life, and you think that God doesn't see you anymore. Can I just remind you of what David said in Psalm 139? David was feeling this way, and he, when he came to his senses, he wrote this in Psalm 139, starting in verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from? From your presence. If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. The one thing we must do in difficult times, in dark times, in times of fear, and loss and suffering and heartache and pain, the one thing we must continue to remind ourselves to do is to keep our eyes, keep our focus on God. He alone can bring us through. We've got to do what Jonah did at the, the second part of verse 4. He said, I've been cast out of your sight yet. I will look again toward your holy temple. put that in very loose modern language Jonah is in essence saying I'm going back to church uh, I'm going back to worship God again with my brothers and sisters I'm going back to the temple the place of worship the idea of worshiping God I'm going to return there it's interesting I've seen this so many times when, when Christians mess up They always stop coming to church. It's ironic because coming to meet together, to be part of a Christian fellowship, to worship God together is the very thing they need to be doing when they're in those worst moments of life. Well, even from the darkness of the fish's belly Jonah realized that he needed to start praising God again. And it's interesting, he didn't wait until his circumstances improved. He said in verses 5 and 6, "...the waters surrounded me, even to my soul, the deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains." The earth with its bars closed behind me forever, yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. And then he, he says in verse 7, When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. He says those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. In other words, if you put any other idol before God, you are going to miss out on the storehouse of mercy that God had waiting to give to you in that situation. If you turn to any other thing or person or pursuit to get you out of this, to help you through this, God says, you're going to miss out on the mercy I had for you. He said, but I will sacrifice to you. That's going to cost him something now. I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord Jonah really got this part right. He messed some things up bad, but he got this part right. And he begins right where he is, in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of the fear, in the midst of the smell and the yuck. Jonah began praising God from there. You've probably heard people say, or maybe you've said yourself, God... If you just get me out of this, I promise I'll fill in the blank. Yeah, we've heard that. Oh, God, God, just, if you just fix this mess, God, if you just get me out of this, I promise I'll be a missionary in Ethiopia for the rest of my life. What the Bible tells us to say instead, and we see this in the example of Christ himself so beautifully going towards the cross, Each day, hearing the clock ticking and setting his face like a flint. A hardened rock, unmovable, setting his face like a flint towards Jerusalem, towards the cross. Unbending, unflinching, unyielding. What the Bible tells us to do in our worst times instead is say, God, I'm going to praise you. I'm going to worship you. I'm going to give you thanks. Even if this situation kills me, I'm going to praise you. Job said, even if he slays me, yet will I trust him. We don't need to be people you say, God, as soon as you do this for me, I'll do this for you. Can I just tell you something? God has already done everything he needs to do for you. I've said it before. If God never answered another prayer for the rest of our lives, if God never blessed us one more time for the rest of our lives, we are still more blessed than we ever deserve and he is still a good God. If he turned his back on us right now, forever, he's still a good God because of what he's already done. Anybody can praise God when their whole family is healthy and strong. Anybody can worship God when all their relationships are in order and the kids are healthy and happy, when they just got a promotion and a raise, when None of the cars are in the garage being fixed when the washing machine isn't broken down. Anybody can testify of God's goodness when all the bills are paid, when there's money in the bank, when the prayers have already been answered. Any of us can praise God in those moments. The real question is, can you praise him? and worship him, and continue to testify about his unfailing goodness when your life is falling apart. Can you praise him while you're still in the belly of the fish? Can you praise him when the doctor says, I'm sorry, there's nothing else we can do? Can you praise him even when that person you trusted and counted on betrayed you? when none of your plans in life are working out, when your pillow is soaked every night with tears of heartache or pain or loneliness, you might be thinking, why would I praise God then? We've got to remember, listen, even when God's hand feels heavy upon us, it's still the hand of a good kind, merciful, loving God. God is the only one who can deliver you out of it anyway. And Jonah began remembering that. He said, salvation is of the Lord. And when Jonah, when he finally reached this place of brokenness and honesty, God's mercy came flooding in. Verse 10, we end with this. So the Lord spoke to Jonah, the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Oh, it's such a nasty sounding verse. It kind of gives you the creeps, but the truth is, this is an extraordinary picture of God's grace. We need to remember, as Jonah did, in the midst of our frantic scrambling about, trying to find solutions for our problems and And our hurts and our issues and troubles, we need to pause and remember the Lord is the only one who can ultimately bring peace into our turmoil. All it took was a word from God, and everything changed. That huge mess that Jonah created boy, what a mess! messed up his life. It messed up the lives of the people around him, the sailors. God graciously brought him through it and set his feet on solid ground once again. And as I said, what we see here so clearly is the goodness and the mercy of God. Even after Jonah's rebellion, Even after Jonah disobeyed, even after he ran from God and caused all these problems, God didn't say, boy, you really blew it. I've got no use for you now. God delivered Jonah and he restored him. Listen, we'll get to this next week, God willing. God restored Jonah to his original mission. Man, Don't you think God had every right to say, okay, Jonah, listen, I'll let you back in. But here's the thing. You're not going to be my representative anymore. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to knock you down a couple ranks. I'll give you a job over here. You blown it? You think God will never have a mission for you? Listen, just as... Peter was lovingly restored by Jesus after his horrific public failure. And he was given a place of usefulness in God's great work. Just as Jesus gently restored the woman caught in adultery. And he said to her, these life-giving words, neither do I condemn you. But he didn't stop there. He said, now go and leave your life of sin. In other words, honey, I didn't make you for this. I made you for more. Come on, get up. I'm not condemning you. I'm sending you. Go. Leave your life of sin. I've got something far greater for you. In the same way, folks, God is not going to cast you aside because you're at a place of brokenness or failure. Here's here's what you need to remember. I think I put this on a slide. God can use, no I didn't, never mind, sorry. God can use each of us. Not in spite of our brokenness, but because of it. We've got to get that. Our brokenness, our mess, our troubles, our hurts, we don't come out of that into God's plan B. Somehow in the miraculous Sovereignty and control and providence of God, even our messes, even our brokenness, is part of God's plan, and he uses us not in spite of those things, but because of them. He wants to take the very things that have hurt you the most and use them for his glory. Suffering, the pain, the failures in your life, are precisely what God can use to bring about his greatest work through you. God doesn't allow us to be broken for nothing. God doesn't put us in the furnace of affliction for nothing. Here's the slide that I have. We can put this up. Please remember this. Your test becomes your testimony. Your obedience becomes your opportunity. Jonah now had the chance for his test to become one of the greatest testimonies ever. And when he finally obeyed, God's door of opportunity was thrown open to him once again, and we'll see that next week. What a horrible experience this was. Man. But what incredible truths Jonah learned. See, there are some things that we can't learn from a book. We have to learn by going through them. Jonah ran from God's call. So now he knows what disobedience looks like. He was thrown overboard. So now he knows what discipline looks like. He sank into the ocean and was swallowed by a great fish. So now he knows what fear looks like. He cried out to God from the belly of the fish, Now he knows what repentance looks like. He admitted the depths to which he had sunk. Now he knows what being humbled looks like. He was forgiven and deposited safely onto dry land. Now he knows what grace looks like. What I'm trying to get you to see this morning is your test is really your testimony. Your obedience is really your opportunity. Don't despise the painful places that God may put you in. Don't become angry. Don't resent God for not getting you out sooner, for not fixing things in the way that you hoped they would be. And so I close with a critical question. Are we going to waste our trials? Because sadly, we'll see in chapter 4, that's exactly what Jonah did. He wasted it. He was so close. He wasted it. Are we going to waste our trials? or Are we going to say, Lord, I surrender myself to this season of brokenness? Use it in my life and for your glory any way that you see fit. Does God have you in a place right now that you'd rather not be? It's okay. It's not the end. He's molding you. He's shaping you. He's refining you, purifying you. And if you look carefully through the eyes of faith, You'll see that being broken is actually a blessing. Let's pray. You've been listening to a broadcast from LifePoint Church in Greenville, South Carolina. If this ministry has touched your life in some way, we would love to hear from you. Just visit our website at www.lifepointsc.org for more information, or if you prefer to reach us by letter, You can write to us at P.O. Box 27036, Greenville, South Carolina, 29616, USA. Until next time, may God bless you as you continue to follow Him. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see.